0: Is Australia. There's fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms see so, you know, But I ain't spending any time on it. Oh, yeah. Give me my on. Don't stop wearing the
1: Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Tudor Advocate's new podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics.
0: It's called being. You wouldn't believe it. A goddamn bloody adult.
1: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Decode, the Batuta Advocates New Politics podcast, where we try to sift through the festering pile of compost that is federal politics, as promised. We're aiming to cover a few bases with this series. We had a couple of explainers breaking down elements of the political system we've had a couple of interviews with notable politicians and now we are bringing you a recap of the last couple of weeks from the world of politics news from the trough if you will the trough being our parliament in canberra and this show being an attempt to explain the news cycle that revolves around it the news headlines the bulletins all that sort of stuff I'm Wendell Hussey and joining me today for this edition, the first edition of the News from the Trough, is the advocate's art critic turned makeshift political reporter for the next few months, Leslie Burley. Leslie Burley from Canberra. She's down there reporting on this election cycle. How are you?
2: Oh, I'm happy to be here down in Canberra. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the political landscape, not so much in the arts landscape, which is why I'm here. yeah. So. yeah. Bit of a change
1: from the beat um, in the French quarter there in the arts world. But, yes, Errol Parker didn't want to head down there for this federal election. He'd said he'd had enough, so Clancy decided that it was uh, Leslie's turn to head down to the Canberra bubble, get involved in the press gallery and cover this election. Now, as we've mentioned in the past, we're the Batuta Advocate uh, taking our style of reporting to covering this upcoming election, which should be in the next couple of months, and in an effort to try and make politics a little bit more accessible. We don't claim to be political experts, but we're simply aiming to shine a light on the dark arts of Canberra.
2: And they are dark arts, almost as dark as the nooks and crevices of Twitter, let's be honest. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like the Mines of Moria, for uh, Lord of the Rings fans out there, a very scary place indeed. So with that in mind, we're going to try and run through some of the more notable events in the last couple of weeks. And. Get up to speed on what the lay of the land looks like from up here in Batuta and down on the ground in Canberra there, where you are, Leslie.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk about the texting scandals, some big addresses to the National Press Club, that religious bill we've all been confused about, and the musical performance that wowed the nation.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit to cover, but before we start off, we've got a couple of quick hit segments to work our way into the show. And the first one is the quote of the week, the one that we really enjoyed, and it was from the honour member for Kennedy up there, Bob Catter, who, when speaking about that religious bill that you just mentioned, offered up this gem.
0: We Christians were being persecuted on a massive scale. And we're not new to persecution. I mean, our, our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was murdered in the most terrible manner humanly possible. Um, so we're not new to persecution. Who brought communism down? Oh, was it Leclercq and his mentor, the Pope of Rome? Was it the Christian right-wingers under Huey Long and uh, a wonderful movie um, um, about how they brought the communist empire down? Um, that a little group of American Christians who abolished slavery. Oh, well, we Christians abolished slavery. Nobody else. We Christians abolished slavery. We abolished communism. And who led the civil rights movement in America? Martin Luther King. Reverend, Reverend Martin Luther King. So, if you want to look, no matter which direction you want to look, the New Age dawned with the Medici family. And they say, oh, well, there you go. You know, they tortured Galileo.
1: Galileo was on
0: the Medici payroll.
1: Ah, incredible stuff from Bob there, quintessential, um, what we've uh, come to know and love from the member from yeah. Kennedy, all sorts of stuff covered there. For me personally, the quotes about the Medici family are the best. Um, he says, you know, they talk about the Medici family. I-, I wonder how often that is getting referenced down at pubs there in the Kennedy electorate, um, mm-hmm. but obviously for Bob, mm-hmm. holds a special place in his heart.
2: My favourite part is when he just goes straight to Jesus, you know, like he's thinking of an example that we can all relate to and he just goes straight to Jesus. It's great, you know.
1: Yeah, and the, um, Start from the
2: top and work your way down, I believe. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. That's what he's done there. And uh, there was plenty more of that, obviously. Um, that's just the short snippet that we could get in there if we wanted to play the whole clip. That would probably occupy most of this week's show. So we'll leave it there with Bob. There'll be more to come over the next little while from him, I'm sure. Now we move from the quote of the week to the clangor of the week and it is one that has just come out of the mouth of the Prime Minister Scott Morrison who was speaking 14 years after former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd's national apology to the stolen generations. Mr Morrison, in delivering his statement on Monday, he said this, I said 14 years ago, sorry is not the hardest word to say. The hardest is I forgive you.
2: Scholar and a poet, isn't
1: he? Mm, probably not the wisest choice of words on the anniversary to the apology to the stolen generations there from Scott Morrison. You wonder if it is a calculated play that is trying to uh, rile up those Australians who feel like they shouldn't have to apologise for something they didn't done or whether it was just a line that was slipped in there from a staffer who was frantically trying to write it for him on Monday morning before the speech um, and it kind of got glossed over and no one picked up on it. Either way, not a great play. But I
0: ain't spending any time on it.
1: We should get into the meat of the show, the biggest issues that you uh, referenced just before there, some of the big topics that have been generating headlines and creating lots of news stories and confusing a lot of people as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. So it has been a big fortnight. They all seem to be pretty big these days, to be fair. But let's jump back to the 1st of February. The new month was here and the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, gave an address to the National Press Club. Pretty standard Prime Ministerial stuff, waffling jobs, the economy, the future. When it turns to question time, however, journalist Peter van Onlensen slammed the PM with this question.
1: Uh, I wanted to ask you about another close friend, Gladys Berejiklian. Mm. I've been provided with a text message exchange between the former New South Wales Premier Mm. and a current Liberal Cabinet Minister. I've got them right here. In one, she describes you as, quote, a horrible, horrible person, going on to say she did not trust you, and you're more concerned with politics than people. The minister is even more scathing, describing you as a fraud and, quote, a complete psycho. What an absolute doozy it was, too.
2: If you watch the video, you can see the people in the background just clenching. You can see. Yeah, we had it
1: up on the TV, <laughs> we were keeping an eye on it, and um, you could hear the gas, as you said, the air leaving the room, the everyone immediately room. looks down at their phones, um, going, oh my god, yeah. let's try and figure out what exactly has happened here, you, and... I would say the Prime Minister, he's pretty good when he's on the spot. He always seems to have an answer for something and he can comfortably roll on. I mean, that's, I guess, a trait that a politician needs to have. They need to be able to kind of roll with the punches and keep talking and keep answering questions. But that, for me, was one of the first times I've genuinely seen him speechless. Yeah. Completely rattled.
2: He didn't say much. So essentially what happened was that Peter claimed the text exchange was between a current federal MP, unnamed, and ex-New South Wales Premier turned girl Gladys Berejiklian. And Scott didn't say much, but this is what he said.
0: Well, I don't know who you're referring to um, or the basis of what you've put to me, um, but I obviously don't agree with it. And I don't think that's
1: my record.
2: Like you said before, mm. you can hear the air leaving the room.
1: Yeah, not not ideal. I mean. Um Right, he may think he has a close working relationship with, I'm not sure, but anyone saying those kinds of things about you, let alone someone that you're actually supposed to work reasonably close with, is a fair sledgehammer and you could kind of tell Scott Morrison was rattled.
2: So naturally, ex-PM and XBFF Malcolm Turnbull felt the need to weigh in. When interviewed two days later on 7.30, he cryptically announced that he would indeed name the culprit.
0: Yes, I will name the culprit. Right. Yeah. It was Colonel Mustard in the library with a smartphone.
2: Clear as mustard, indeed.
1: Yeah. So Colonel Mustard—that is—that's Cluedo character. Yes. Is it not? Uh huh. He's yeah, making right. a
2: cheeky little Cluedo reference. Uh, naturally, a lot of people started speculating. You know, what is mustard code for Colonel? Ooh. But I think it's just Chamberlain being a bit cheeky.
1: Yeah, right. Cuz if I quickly google Colonel Mustard, the stock character of a great white hunter and a colonial imperialist.
2: That could be anyone I in the mean, National Party.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Nats, the Libs, that could be that could be any of them. I guess Yeah, I wonder if anyone started scrolling Peter Dutton's facebook and instagram profiles maybe he's there next to like a an elephant that he's dropped over there on one of those safaris in africa or some some big game somewhere that he's kind of brought down up in the northern territory that might be that might give us a clue
2: yeah maybe he really likes mustard i don't know
1: Yeah, an interesting one from Malcolm Turnbull. He would have quite enjoyed that, getting that Mm. out too, I reckon.
2: I think he did. It looked like he did. So then, of course, you know, come Friday on the 4th, just when Scotty probably thought that this was dying down and things were getting a bit normal again for the weekend, he took the opportunity to flex his empathetic muscles and wash someone's hair, a demonstration that although TAFE has suffered considerable funding cuts, truly anyone can just jump in and have a go. Uh, (laughs) Which is, you know nice um however unfortunately while Scott practiced his lather rinse and repeat the deputy prime minister found himself having to apologize for dogging the boys that's right another leaked text this time from Barnaby Joyce attacked the PM's character saying he is a hypocrite and a liar and I have never trusted him and I dislike how he earnestly rearranges the truth to a lie
1: yeah that's pretty full-on and that's Pretty personal stuff too Isn't it?
2: Deeply personal He is not faffing around He is getting straight To the point And it's pretty Bloody awkward Probably not as awkward As the conversation Between Barnaby and Morrison Afterwards Where Barnaby Joyce The deputy Offered his resignation And then Scott said no Even though technically Barnaby can't actually Be fired by Scott Morrison Anyway But of course After all of that They both publicly Declared that You know It's all good fellas It's just a bit of bad blood In the locker room Back in the day and neither of us feel that way anymore.
1: Just a couple of blokes who, you know, were kind of letting off a bit of steam. Yeah, um, just said some, some things. things. You know, they got it off their chest. They went out there, whatever, whatever came of it. They're yeah. all good now. They've smoothed things over because th- those were texts that were sent to a third person who was meant to pass them on to Brittany Higgins.
2: Yeah, so it's a text exchange that has been passed through multiple people.
1: Mm. And so that's, again, more politicians are freaking out because this is another set of leaked text messages that are coming there with some, again, very personal things. Pretty damning. Um, These are Deputy Prime Minister. He's supposed to be working very closely with the Prime Minister, and he's coming out there and saying that he's a hypocrite and a liar. Obviously, there's a little bit that can be said about Barnaby Joyce using those words. Mm. But probably won't touch on that, I don't think. No, we won't go too deep, but it is. That's the the focus on that. Now, after the weekend, it didn't really get any better for Scott Morrison. Late on Sunday night, he was hit with another doozy.
2: Absolutely. So at 8 p.m. at night, ex-New South Wales Labor Premier Bob Carr tweeted, the minister who shared the text with Van Onlinson, so the first one we spoke about, and gave permission to use it was Peter Dutton. If PM Morrison has one more week in freefall, fall, the prospect of a leadership change pre-election is real. Party rules don't count if most MPs think you will lead them to defeat.
1: Which is a huge allegation. That's the next huge. guy up, really. If there's a leadership spill, Peter Dutton is the next guy up and you've yep. got a political heavyweight who's been around, who has a lot of connections inside Canberra, outside Canberra, Sydney, all of that sort of stuff. Alleging that the guy who wants Scott Morrison's job is behind these leaked techs. It's a huge, huge allegation.
2: And we gotta remember that Peter Dutton was the one that triggered the spill last time that actually yes. gave Scott Morrison the Stephen Bradbury style prime ministership that he did actually get. It could yep. have been Peter Dutton. And yeah, so, that's you know, a-
1: a good point. Poor old Peter Dutton, he didn't get his numbers quite right. He thought that he was on, and then Scott Morrison. Yeah, as you said, he Bradbury's his way in there, or oh, Bradbury'd or cleverly worked his way in there. It's hard some, to say. Some, yeah, some say he was. It was all very calculated from him. But yes, Peter Dutton was behind that last leadership spill, and yep. if Bob Carr is to be trusted, he might be behind another potential leadership spill coming up. But Dutton came out, he he wasn't having any of it. He came out and he said that it was baseless and true and that Bob Carr should delete his tweet.
2: Yeah, so he came back swinging really hard about half an hour later at 9.30 p.m. So you know things are bad when the Minister for Defence is having to tweet people late on a Sunday night to defend himself. But he basically just straight up has denied it. He won't even... Entertain the idea that it is him at all. And of course, since then, Bob Carr has doubled down on his claims. He hasn't provided any actual evidence, but it's clearly not afraid of getting sued for defamation. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's not worried about the blowback from it at all. Yeah, it's still actually a couple of weeks on from this all kicking off. We're still not really any closer to figuring out who is leaking these texts and how they're all getting out. No. So I imagine there's some very, very nervous politicians. With some
2: no, not unless Malcolm Turnbull decides to give us another Cluedo clue. I don't think we're going to get much closer anytime soon.
1: Jeez, it is like the off-season for the NRL, just rumours and rumours and rumours getting around. Exciting stuff.
2: Absolutely. Look, it's been a fortnight so full of leaks. Add some potatoes, onion, and garlic, and you've got yourself your next dish for kitchen cabinet. And
1: some mustard seeds in there, too. There
0: are some mustard seeds.
1: But, um, that is a good note for us to finish up on.
0: But, but I ain't spending any time on it.
1: Now, moving on to a topic that has got nowhere near as much media coverage as those Texan leaks that we were talking about is no. this convoy to Canberra. It's not getting a lot of headlines, it's not getting a lot of coverage, but there's a fair few people who have committed to this convoy and are hanging around in Canberra. We're talking about two weeks of protests down there with demonstrators gathering across major landmarks and roads in Canberra, talking about the National Library, Parliament House, the War Memorial, Canberra Airport, and so on. And there's about 3,000 people, give or take, down there in Canberra protesting against the right to not get jabbed, protesting against what they call vaccine mandates and their freedoms Mm. being infringed. It's a fair commitment from these 3,000 or so anti-vaxxers who've been down there for quite some time trying to get their voices heard. They've been clogging up streets. There have been locals who are getting frustrated with them. And Craig Kelly, he came out and he said that these people are protesting about the vaccine mandates that they want to end so they can go back to work. That's what um, he told reporters in his office, which I think is a bit of an interesting one because if they've taken two weeks to hang around down in Canberra mm. for these protests, obviously great commitment to the cause and I'll shout out to them. They're very committed if they're spending you know a couple of weeks down there in Canberra really making an effort to protest these vaccine mandates. But, yeah, it's not exactly like they're rushing back to work. I mean, maybe a lot of them are out of jobs because of the vaccine mandates, but it's an interesting one.
2: Yeah, I think, if anything, they're definitely committed. <laughs>
1: Yes, committed, and uh, they got let into Parliament House, as we mentioned there, from Craig. He gave them a little bit of a tour, and, yeah, yeah, they certainly... I hope they feel like their voices have been heard, even though mainstream media hasn't really been covering it or going near it. So that is where we'll leave the convoy to Canberra.
0: (laughs) But I ain't spending any time on
1: now, one of the other bigger issues over the last couple of weeks, um, we started off with a National Press Club address there that um, had Scott Morrison answering that question about the text leaks. But now we, we lead into what occupied pretty much all of last week. You might say rather beneficially for the government. And it was spent not talking about things like a federal integrity commission, which had been promised for the last couple of years, a federal kind of ICAC bill, not talking about free rats or kind of improving conditions within the aged care sector, but we were talking about religious freedoms.
2: Yeah, so if you're confused about the religious freedom bill, join the club. So essentially, back when Scott was elected in 2018, he promised to implement protections for religious businesses and institutions. So especially now that, you know, we can all get gay married at gay weddings and whatever. (laughs) So one example of this privilege could be being able to fire gay teachers, but that's actually already legal thanks to a little loophole in the Sex Discrimination Act. But this new bill takes that same idea and allows it to become legal in any way. Place that may be somewhat loosely religious not just schools so that's cool beans
1: yeah so and he was making a real point of going hard at this it was all through the media it was all through the news that was pretty much what they were talking about in parliament apart from tributes to the queen on i think it was her platinum jubilee and a kind mm. of other tributes to uh, a couple of other notable former politicians it was all about this religious discrimination bill which was getting yeah. talked about ad nauseum really
2: Yeah, so he started off the week that way. So he defended the bill at the very beginning of the week on Monday and actually practised some of his poetry in an early morning presser where he spoke about multiculturalism, refugees and people who have fled persecution from other countries due to their religion now having found a safe haven in Australia, kind of like those blokes locked up with Djokovic. Yeah, it was
1: really interesting. It was really interesting, wasn't it? The the pivot from the stop the boats kind of government to we care about about multiculturalism, we embrace multiculturalism and we are bringing forward this religious discrimination bill to protect people, to protect our multicultural society Mm. and trying to drive a wedge there with Labor by positioning it that if Labor opposed this bill, well then they were opposed to people of faith and the idea of a multicultural Australia who have strong commitments to their faith.
2: Yeah, it's a level of cognitive dissonance that can only really be found in the church and in parliament, I think. (laughs)
1: Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it left a lot of people confused, but from up here uh, up here in the Channel Country, that's what it seemed to look like. They were trying to do this. It was a very much another kind of dead cat on the table. It seemed like this for the this one week in Parliament, because we have seven days in Parliament until the election.
2: Yeah, and we spent many.
1: four of them talking about this religious discrimination bill, which staunch Christians like Dominic Perrottet, father of six down there in Sydney, the New South Wales Premier, deeply religious. He came out and said that he actually didn't understand why we were pushing this religious discrimination bill so hard. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. And it was one that it seemed like they were trying to push Labor on uh, as an enemy of multicultural Australia.
2: Yeah, so it is a difficult one. And so the a lot of people are very confused. And so to try and combat that, Scott was trying to address the idea that these people, you know, from multi faiths should be able to express their religion without persecution. But the thing is, and this is why a lot of people are fighting against it as well, it's already illegal to discriminate against individuals based on race or religion. We have laws in place that can do that. But the bill that Scott wanted to introduce empowered religious people to act freely within their own belief. So for example, you know, if things were to get a little bit extreme within the world of this bill, a Christian business could potentially try to use this bill to stop a Muslim staff member from wearing religious dress because it would be against the business's religion, even though the other person's religion would then in turn also be discriminated against. Less confused now? (laughs) Mean over,
1: yeah. (laughs) When you hear people talk about it and get caught up in it, it is extremely, extremely confusing. The, The the kind of examples that were thrown up over the couple of days were about, notably, were about schools being able to kick gay kids and trans kids out of schools on behalf of their religion. It was allowing those schools and religious institutions like that the freedom to kind of what they would say is uphold their traditional conservative uh, religious values. Those were the main examples we were hearing.
2: Yeah, and so we're hearing a lot of these examples and that was part of the problem. It's a bill that's hard to sell because no one quite knows what they're buying. The only thing they know is that it's guaranteed that someone at some point will be offended. It's Mm. very confusing. And so debates on this bill in Parliament's lower house began on Wednesday, like you said, and it actually continued into the early hours of Thursday morning. They stayed back really, really, really late. And all the parties had a go at defending or critiquing or pussyfooting around the bill, depending on where they landed. Mm-hmm. And Labor stated that they would pass the bill in the lower house, but not without introducing protections for LGBTQI plus peoples, which is what you were mentioning. And they also said that they would fight it in the Senate later historically like a pretty big deal that five liberal backbenchers actually joined labor they crossed to the floor mm. to make this happen and the amendments were successful and the bill passed in the lower house so it's all a little bit confusing to follow but look to be honest it actually doesn't matter anymore because the bill was shelved by the government by the next day citing yeah. they'd prefer to use the next senate window to introduce the federal budget so, you know, they've promised to bring it up again if they win the next election, which is precisely what they promised before the last election. So if they keep up the same pattern of behaviour, we really don't need to worry about the bill at all.
1: Yeah, you could almost say it was a perfect waste of four days, four of our seven days in four parliament. Four out of
2: seven, yep.
1: Essentially, it looked like the government were pushing Labor, trying to um, position them as an enemy of multiculturalism. Labor said they weren't going to pass this bill. Obviously, realised politically it wasn't a great look, brought in these protections, then voted with the bill and those five government uh, members who crossed the floor, which is a huge, huge deal because traditionally teams vote with their teams. You know, these yep. um, parliamentary parties, they kind of vote along party lines. So these five people crossing the floor was a big deal. So then the legislation passed and then got moved up to the Senate. And it looked like Labor had folded, but what they'd actually done was pulled out and brought in these protections, which were really pivotal to what the government wanted to do. So when it got up to a Senate level, well, it actually wasn't the bill that they wanted to pass anyway, and it wasn't going to get through the Senate. So they had to drop it.
2: Yeah. And that in itself was controversial. So, you know, one would think that this is an issue that those on the spectrum of the political left, so Labor and the Greens and everyone else, if this is an issue that they could come together and show strength and unity and clearly demonstrate a clear position against the Liberal Party, but that is not what happened. So some people mm. were angry that Labor just didn't say no to the bill full stop instead of dragging out another deeply contentious ideological debate, but others claim that it was a highly intellectual, multi-step tactical decision, perfectly acceptable by Albanese that we should ultimately be thankful for. So, yes, you know, Labor didn't completely drop the ball, but it's exactly this kind of, like, high-risk, high-reward approach to policy that the queer community are frankly quite tired of.
1: Oh, yeah, and and the rest of the community is also quite tired of, instead of just going, no, this bill's a bad idea, there was all this political manoeuvring yeah. to try and kind of um, advance their own political agenda And in the end, it looks like they did get the result. But, yeah, very, very complicated, and you can understand why a heap and heap of people tune out from this sort of stuff. Yeah,
2: like we already had this fight. We had the plebiscite for you lot to fight about whether we're shit or not, so we really don't need (laughs) to do it again, to be honest.
1: Well, uh, I guess we'll see what happens in this election. Um, We might do it all over again in a few months' time. (laughs) Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll see.
0: (laughs) But I ain't spending any time on it.
1: Now, we will um, we'll finish up with the kind of most recent talking point out of this political cycle, and it sounds a little bit like this.
0: Take me to the April sun.
2: Yes, that is indeed April Sun in Cuba. Yes, it is a ukulele. And no, it's not Australian tiny guitar golden boy Vance Joy. It is, in fact, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Look, I don't know about you, but I wasn't planning on having flashbacks to my Performing Arts University sharehouse days this week, but here we are. Tired, anybody?
1: Yes, I don't think that will be featuring in the Hottest 100, though, like uh, Vance did a few times. I uh, don't think it'll be polling many votes next year.
2: Could do well in the Aussest 100, though.
1: Yeah, very true, very true. I might um, hit a note there. Uh, I don't know if they are still going with that uh, interesting marketing ploy there. But No, if they I don't are, think it I'm lasted sure. very
2: long, just like um, Scott Morrison's ukulele career.
1: No, yeah. I, again, this it's another head-scratching one from Scott Morrison's marketing team, whether they were around. You'd assume they were around during the filming because uh, the ukulele, Portuguese in origin as an instrument, but it is – been popularized it has been popularized in hawaii and obviously mm. scott morrison during that summer of bushfires went to hawaii he went on that ill-fated holiday which they talk a lot about in the 60 minute segment there um which is what we're talking about here the 60 minutes segment the the piece on scott morrison and jenny morrison and whether jenny morrison can save his career yeah it's yeah. a
2: deeply unfortunate correlation between um one thing that he's famous for and one thing that he's now famous for playing the ukulele Mm. and you know again we ask the same question as to whether it was an intentional multi-layered nod to something and you know the nation's spirit towards moving on and seeing Scott as a daggy dad or if they just didn't think it through
1: Yeah, because there very much could be the chance that he actually does kind of maybe it's a, you know, a daggy dad form of mindfulness that he's playing his ukulele there. You know, he, he strums a few chords a couple of times a week or whatever. But yeah, whether. Whether, as you said, it was calculated or it just slipped through and obviously you can see Carl Stefanovic's face lighting oh, up with glee when the uke yeah. comes out, you know, you could he see- realises what's going on there.
2: Yeah. You know things are bad when Carl's asking you to repair your image. So it yeah, was a yeah. pretty juicy, juicy scene um, to end the report on
1: raised a lot of eyebrows around the country why the the guy you know so famous for that hawaii holiday thought the ukulele was getting a run but there was plenty of other stuff in there that actually also kind of grabbed a few headlines some of the more notable quotes were from jenny morrison scott's wife i
2: think all of the quotes were from jenny morrison almost
1: one of the quotes that's um got a bit of traction off the back of it was jenny's comments about grace tame and that um photo shoot before australia day a couple of weeks ago there said
2: I just found it a little bit disappointing because we'll welcome you in our home. I respect people that like want to change things, stand up for their beliefs and are strong, but I still think there's manners and respect. I want my daughters to grow up to be fierce, strong, independent, amazing people. And I think they can still do that and show kindness to other people and be polite and have manners.
1: What did you make of that, Liz?
2: Yeah, look, it's a tricky one because on a personal level, like you understand how someone could feel a little bit. Oh, you know, like I was put in a bit of a shitty situation where I don't come out looking very well in a Mm. press conference and I've invited you into my home, but ultimately on a grander scale, this whole issue wasn't really meant to be about politeness. It was about an Australian of the Year going to an Australian of the Year event and fighting what she's been fighting for the whole time and just kind of continuing that fight and to be yeah. honest like I think they should have half expected it because Grace Tame's been very public about how she feels about Scott Morrison and so yes. you know like, like if yeah, I were yeah, there I wouldn't exactly have been, been surprised. surprised over the
1: last 12 months no
2: yeah. no yeah. and
1: I find that angle as well uh, that it was quite interesting that we we're welcoming her into our home and we're kind of you know it's not hard to be polite it's not hard to do all that sort of stuff well it's not exactly their home. It's no, the taxpayer-funded residence that they're staying in for a couple of years yeah. while you know Scott's in charge of job. It's not like you know they're really putting on uh, hospitality for Grace and inviting her in, and she's being quite rude. It's like no, no, they're they're at a kind of an official function. There's this stuff going on. Grace has been an advocate over the last kind of twelve months. Yeah, it's not like Jenny invited her in off the street for a meal and she threw it in her face.
2: No, they haven't brought her home for curry night in the Northern Beaches. No.
1: No, speaking of curries, that was Jamie Oliver levels of preparation for food. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: Th-
1: everything was perfectly cut up there. I And I'm assuming Scott Morrison didn't cut everything perfectly up there. And fair enough, he's the Prime Minister. He's got more important things to do. But it, was, it just made me think of Jamie Oliver when he's kind of swanning around the kitchen, splashes of everything here and there, and it just gets whipped up so quickly. You know, giving the impression that that's just an easy meal to make while everything's kind of set out there. Tip that in, tip that in. All the perfectly seasoned chicken. From
2: one daggy dad to another, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was what my mind was running over. But, yeah, Albo is apparently, he's going to get his writer reply. He's going to get his uh, puff piece on 60 Minutes. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm actually betting he's more of a Jumbe kind of guy than Ukulele. Yeah,
1: I mean, he could get the decks out. I reckon there's probably.
2: Oh, that would be good. You'd
1: hope. You'd hope he doesn't. What if
2: he remixes Scott's performance?
1: Yeah, yeah, like one of those um, Get On The Beers style songs. Maybe he could.
2: Yeah, Drop A Fat Remix. Yeah,
1: yeah, we might see DJ Alba. Again, I'm sure there'll be a lot of inner-city lefties who'd love, love a bit of DJ Alba on the beat. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. I mean, Divorcee divorcee kind of living it up there in in a city it'd be interesting to see how that piece looks as compared to you know the relatable smiley christian family who are really pleasant and um yeah really hospitable
2: so to wrap things up february so far has been big we've had text leaks we've had mystery phone calls we've had spicy rumors and all of this has been the backdrop of a series of very real pressure points for the current government we have aged care in crisis we're throwing another ideological warfare out there with the religious freedom bill and although covid cases are dropping the nation's patience is truly wearing thin
1: go yeah no we're not any closer to free rats food seems to still not be on shelves there's supply chain issues with all sorts of things aged care workers still not getting paid what they deserve to be paid and there are still heaps and heaps of issues with our healthcare system
2: as well. So, Absolutely. I also think it's important to note that a lot of what's been thrown around is speculation. There's more he said, she said than the phone scene from Mean Girls. But at a certain point, that begins not to matter and not in a spooky fake news, say whatever the hell you want way, but in the sense that the legend of the story becomes greater than the story itself. When members of the government... Both state and federal, from past and present, all come out to publicly shit-sling and undermine the Prime Minister. It portrays a lack of confidence and stability on a scale that, in some voters' eyes, is irreparable. You know, leadership rumblings are always damaging to a PM, but when they occur in the run-up to an election, during a time of national crisis, when we need stable leadership more than ever, those rumblings can become fatal.
1: Geez, there you go. Damning words from Laura Tingle, Laurie Oakes, Barry Cassidy down there in, <laughs> uh, down there in Canberra. The down now Advocates. Les Burley. <laughs> the Batuta its very own Les Burley with a bit of summation of the of the last couple of weeks. It, as you said, it's been a very, very interesting couple of weeks. And if the last couple of years anything to go by, it seems like it's just going to keep on rolling and rolling and rolling. And there'll be all these headlines coming through that kind of leave us asking, where the fuck do we go from here? Uh, it's just yeah chaos. and my
2: wish for the rest of February mm. is to get a bit more substance and a little less he said she said yeah, I it had, yeah. I'd like to actually know what everyone's yeah, got to yeah. offer this coming election. a little
1: bit less chaos a little bit less wasted time because you know we've only got a couple of months to election and it'd be nice for people to kind of get on with doing their jobs yeah. and trying to figure things out for the state of the nation but
2: my Twitter thumb is sore scrolling through all those tweets I need to have a rest I'm going to get a couple tunnels.
1: tweets around the clock they're just always always rolling through Oz <laughs> so that was news from the trough we hope you enjoyed our recap and we hope you tune in next time as we kind of try and run through all these big stories and what's going on in the world of politics at large but until then i'm wendell Hussey,
2: and i'm leslie burley
1: don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us and if you're on desert rock fm thanks very much talk to you next time